Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Dark Parade. My name is Bo. I am your host for these proceedings. And uh, welcome to another main episode of the show. Uh, if you are a little behind on the episodes, then uh, or just skipping over some of the bonus stuff, then I will say this uh, for one of the last times, if, if not the last time, due to the fact that I am now back in school and my uh, evenings are now a lot of required reading and essays and quizzes and all that fun stuff. Uh, the, the pace of the show's releases has to slow down a little bit, but, uh, we're still getting one a week and, um, I'm going to eventually balance it out so that it's one of the main episodes covering a movie and then a bonus, bonus episode and then a main episode and then a bonus episode, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you're still getting a little bit of everything. And this is one of those main episodes. Originally, this was going to be the last episode in June. Uh, but because of, uh, you know, scheduling and all that uh, and jumping into classes right away, um, this is going to be uh, the first episode of July, I do believe. And uh, but it's kind of the end of Universal. And it, it's me and Court Psyops talking about the old Dark House, which is a movie that I dearly love. There's an excellent uh, Blu-ray edition of the old Dark House available, and if you've never seen the old Dark House, I sincerely uh, uh, encourage you to go grab a copy of that because it's a fantastic movie. It's also just a piece of horror movie history, and uh, and for a long time it wasn't available. So uh, we live in a glorious age uh, of gods and monsters where you can get uh, the old Dark House pretty conveniently. So, um, that's enough out of me. I'll talk some more on the back end, but there's no reason to waste any time getting to this, uh, very fun conversation with Cord Psyops about the old Dark House. So here you go. All right. Welcome back to, uh, this here episode of the Dark Parade. Um, you have been warned already that one Cord Psyops is back and, uh, without further ado, Court. Welcome back to yet another Universal episode in, quite frankly, one of the worst titled segments I've ever done because it's no longer even June by the time this drops. <laughs> well, it is what it is, but I do have to say when your initial intention was to get these all out in June because that's how the Dark Parade format was at, mm-hmm. I mean, that works. Universal for all of June makes mm-hmm. perfect sense because you were doing specialty months. But you're a busy man now, and you just have to stretch out where you were at with your plans and then recalibrate after you finish what you started. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you know, knock on wood, I'll be able to to do more of these shenanigans. But right now, um, yeah, it just, it turns out going to school and working full time as well as trying to have even something like a personal life takes up a lot of time. Um I know it, man. I did it myself whenever I became a coder like eight years ago. I worked full time at the factory I worked at and then came home and and earned a a bachelor's degree in like a year or so. It was an accelerated program. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous, but I had no life for the time that I was doing it. And my wife, thankfully, was so supportive of me to be able to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to women everywhere. Uh, uh, Not just because of putting up with Supreme Court bullshit. But also just dealing with typical man bullshit. Because uh, I know uh, my lady friend also incredibly supportive. And even as she has been dealing with nonsense, has been like, hey, how, how's everything going? How was your how was your day with classes? Anything you need? 
do you need me to help you with some flashcards or something? And I'm like, you are a fucking saint. Um, <laughs> Shout out to anyone who has a womb and no longer has bodily autonomy over it uh, as well. Yeah. Oh, man. What a crazy world. Um, but we're... <laughs> the country we live in, yes. Right, right. It's the old uh, Carlin bit of when, it, when you're born into this world... Uh, you have tickets to the freak show, and when you're born into the United States, you you get front row seats. Um, and never has that been more true. I get a lot. These are the texts I get these days. Hey, you want to go to Italy? I think we should go to Italy. Uh, <laughs> let's buy one of them like three hundred dollar Italian, you know, houses that's fallen down in the middle of nowhere. How about we do that? Um, <laughs> I'm a uh, part of the job search that I'm doing and trying to increase my income is also to be able to make a very dramatic exit if need be and afford to live elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, Lord knows that even going into my new chosen career of being a teacher, that doesn't really afford much. Uh, but, said lady friend, kind of rich. Kind of rolling in it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Poe has struck gold, folks. Yeah, I like. I, I'm trying to keep everything on the up and up here because a, she's amazing. B, she was like, you know, I'm I'm comfortably well off. Like we can, if we wanted to go to Italy, we could. And I'm like, I I get that, and yes, I will go with you. <laughs> um, how do I become a kept man? Tell me more. Tell me more. No shit. I, I, I told her if that job is open, I'll take it. Like, you know, do you want to just work and sit on my face all day long? We can make that happen. Um, <laughs> For much of that would be such a clip. <laughs> right. So, uh, but we are here, uh, Court, to talk about th this is a movie I kind of saved for last because uh, it is not often talked about. Or, or certainly not in the circles that I run in. And also, it's one of my favorite universal horror films. Um, and we are talking, of course, about uh, The Old Dark House, uh, which is uh, an absolute banger of a movie. And I, I, you know, I like to start off with a just, hey, where did you first encounter this movie? Because uh, I came to it kind of late, but what was your experience? I don't think I could have came to it any later and uh, any more embarrassing for myself. I was not aware of it until it was featured in Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses whenever that finally got released. Oh, um, sure. There was a clip that was like in the film. And then upon going and watching Old Dark House, I was like, oh, so he just basically tried to remake this with like Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre sandwiched on top of it. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this film that feels a lot like house of a thousand corpses as well but not to bag on rob zombie too much but when i found out that that was the the film i immediately went out and found it on dvd and i've been a fan of the film ever since so and it's kind of been the same thing with the uh quotes that he snags out of horror films for mr zombie um i've since gone on to find just about every single horror film he ever had a quote from if i didn't immediately recognize it uh, <laughs> so like i i thank you for that sir and goodbye <laughs> right <laughs> and now knock it off um yeah i i came to it probably eight ten years ago at this point and it it's was about the same time i think for me yeah yeah it was just one of those things where i was like oh this is a james whale horror film i've never seen and what the hell's wrong with me and 
after watching, I was like, oh, this has kind of elements of The Thin Man, which is one of my favorite films, uh, which is, uh, um, uh, is it William Powell and Myrna Loy in The Thin Man? Um, I don't know, sir. I do not know. Um, let me, uh, I will look that up as, as we're talking, but, um, yeah, it, it, it has that kind of, um, that thirties debonair. Yeah, it is William Powell and Myrna Loy. Uh, just, <laughs> just, just so I could pat myself on the back for that one. Um, <laughs> better man than me. I had no clue. Yeah. Uh, if you've never seen the thin man, it's, it's amazing. It's about two, um, uh, like way upper class drunks that solve crimes and it's got <laughs> some of the best dialogue in any movie of of that or any era like it came out about the, the original one came out a couple of years after um old dark house as a matter of fact and there's um three or four of the thin man movies there's after the thin man another thin man thin man goes home shadow of the thin man um but after the thin man i think is the second one and it's a rare villain turn for a very young jimmy stewart and thing <laughs> yeah super interesting and um but yeah it's a, a great detective series anyway but it, that kind of dialogue like the the conversations that you get between um lillian bond and um uh uh Mel is it Melvin Douglas? Um or Raymond Massey. Maybe it's Raymond Massey is who I'm thinking of, who plays uh Waverton. But it, like the the kind of dialogue between them of like, say, you're a really smart gal, you know, that kind of stuff. And it like the thin man is littered with that kind of thing, only lots more talk about martinis. And <laughs> And it's just one of those things that I really adore in, in movies of this era where it's like, hey, we're all here to have a good time. And the characters are going to be a little bit arch and they're going to the, the way that they speak is a little too smart and too sharp for the way that people actually speak. But and they all have the mid-Atlantic accent like ridiculous. Lethal. Yeah, but it, it's the way that I wish people did speak. Um. <laughs> And because I love it, it's one of the things I, I love. Uh, I, I love doing around people. It's just like, say that, pal. Look at look at what you got there. Why those legs go all the way up? See, you know that kind of stuff is just it, it's music to my ears because I, I love that era of filmmaking. I love that kind of dialogue. That you know, thirties, forties into the fifties, but not much beyond that. Like once Brando came along and changed the game, like people just stopped doing that because it wasn't. It was it it was out of vogue. But I, I miss the days when a guy would threaten someone else by saying something like, listen, mister, can the ham before it's pressed and chipped for you. Right, right. Like, how about you? You want one right in the post, do you? You know, uh, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Is, is, yeah, I love it when somebody threatens to hit somebody right in the puss. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, love it. And, you know, the, like the old Dark House falls into that category of like, it's really sharp dialogue. It's a very written film. And also, it's James Whale once again inventing a subgenre of horror. Where <laughs> Quite literally, the name of this movie is the subgenre of horror that it invents. <laughs> yeah, of like here are strangers or kids or teenagers or whatever you want to say. Like dolls is the old dark house with dolls. 
and you know like uh i mean name any film where people just find shelter out of a storm at a place that turns out to be like tourist trap is the old dark house with mannequins you know, it, <laughs> and a very deranged Chuck Connors with telekinetic powers. Sure, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're all born of that same DNA. You know, yeah. like it's like a Gaslight film when there is actually a film called Gaslight. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you know, wow, somebody should really make a movie about somebody being gaslit. Yeah, it's called Gaslight. Um, <laughs> right, just like any any old dark house film is literally the old dark house. It's just a variation on that theme as you were saying you could even throw um ah damn it i just had the gate right that's mm-hmm. basically the old dark house but it's the old dark house comes to you yeah almost yeah um and you know you mentioned house of a thousand corpses is you know the old dark house plus this other stuff and you know but it all comes back to james whale kind of inventing the this gothic house out in the middle of nowhere a storm, you know, washes out the road and drives drives people to the house, and then mystery and creeps ensue. This and, is also a template for a lot of Alfred Hitchcock style of filmmaking too, where he strands people into an area where they're together, and oh, by the way, one of them's a killer, you know, or even yeah. the Christie novel type thing. Right. Well, and and that's the other thing I really like about the old dark house is the threat is constantly shifting in the movie. Of like, oh, that guy's creepy. Wait, that lady's creepy too. Oh, wait a second. There's just somebody locked upstairs that's even creepier than that? What the fuck? Like, one of my favorite moments in this movie is when they're like, wait a second, you have a brother somewhere upstairs locked away? And they're like, oh yeah, we don't... He's he's fine, but don't let him out. Oh, <laughs> and not to mention the threat of the, the whole lake that's above this uh, fucking old house that has already washed out a road and two sides of the mountain around it and could wash it out at any minute if the rain doesn't let up the entirety house and taking everybody with them. Yeah. Like if the storm doesn't let up enough or is or if the lake doesn't hold up, it's leaking all around the outsides and washing away sides of the mountain. All it's going to take is like that much more water to where whatever the house is resting on starts to give way too. And, you know, that could definitely happen. Water is extremely powerful <laughs> in taking mm-hmm. shit like that out. Yeah. So basically, uh, what is that Naomi Watts movie uh, with the, the tsunami? <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, that's going to kill me until I remember uh, the name of that. Because it's a terrific movie. Um, at any rate, but so basically that is the old dark house only without the house but all the water um the the impossible is the, the name impossible. of that yeah. yeah i just found it on the google search there you go <laughs> oh man if you've never seen the impossible that movie will wrench your heart it's terrific um but yeah all right so let's let's get into the plot of the old dark house because it it's super fun and it base <laughs> go on Oh, I was just laughing because I was like, we kind of already discussed it because it's basically people get stranded in a house full of weirdos. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but it. <laughs> to put a little finer point on it, you've got uh, Waverton and Margaret, who are husband and wife, uh, on their way somewhere. You know, I don't even remember where they're going now. But uh, Waverton is played by Raymond Massey, um, who, if you don't know who Raymond Massey is, he was in arsenic and old lace and east of eden and oh my lord i mean worked from the 30s up into the 70s like he was 
uh, a, a mainstay in film and television for years and years and years, and he's great. And so he is with uh, Gloria Stewart of t- Titanic fame, as well as, um, of, of course, uh, The Invisible Man. And um, it's weird to me that she got famous for Titanic, or had that resurgence because of Titanic. But... Uh, Anyway, so they're husband and wife, and in the back seat is their their pal, uh, who is uh, Penderel, Roger Penderel, and who is the best character in the movie, hands down, as far as I'm concerned. And that's <laughs> uh, of course played by Melvin Douglas, who uh, was, uh, he, oh my God, what was he not in? He was in everything from. Um, geez, the Crucible, Captain's Courageous, uh, 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 that certain age, um, the Vampire Bat, uh, that wow. that film, yeah. But I mean, that's another guy that worked all the way into the eighties. Like one of his last films was Ghost Story. In fact, I think it was his last movie. Yeah, I just looked him up just to kind of confirm with the various films that are in his career, and that was his last one. He was even in the Changeling, two of better ghost stories to come out of that decade yeah yeah he's the the kind of you know well not exactly the villain but kind of the villain of that movie or more the the unwitting beneficiary of not being handicapped but uh, <laughs> he is the changeling he's the titular yeah. character pretty much yeah 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 and uh and is great in it and you know was uh, like I said, just in everything was in HUD with uh, the Paul Newman. Anyway, just <laughs> one of those actors that was good in everything he was ever in because he's just that kind of actor. But anyway, so great cast. Do you think his character in this is a bit of a libertine though? Because oh. he seems like he just does not give a fuck about any social morals at all and just wants to live at least he does when we first meet him anyway yeah but i think that is kind of it's a character type of these movies of this era this kind of you know uh post-depression um you know that that kind of character that's freewheeling understands that hey maybe everything's kind of bullshit I got a little more money than I should have, or sometimes not, you know, like who knows how much money Penderel really has. He's in the backseat of his Fred's car. It's not like he's independently wealthy or nothing. On their way to their honeymoon, he's fucking surfing the backseat of their car. <laughs> right. And, and just drinking gin, you know, just having... drinking it like they're not going to make anymore. <laughs> right. And is like, he's the character again, it, there is a, this type of character in movies of this era that is a dude just out looking for a good time. You know, doesn't have any other motive than that. Just wants a drink, wants some music, probably wants a cigarette, and he's going to be fine. And uh, so they're <laughs> they're driving down this road that ultimately gets washed out because of this incredible storm. Um, and it's is also... a reservoir or a lake that's up in the mountains? I can't remember exactly what they say, but it it, it just broke through the mountain on the sides and washed out both sides of the road. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like another thing I like about this era is seeing cars of this time being driven for real, you know, like there's a, it's obviously a set and all, but just seeing uh, this old timey car at a time when, you know, cars are like 20 years old as a concept 
And it's just like, this is what cars were. Like these old kind of open air. It's crazy that it even works, you know, kind of machines. And mostly still runs on squirrel. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like you got to pedal to get it going. And um, (laughs) you stick your feet through the floorboard and start running. And once it gets going, you just let it go. Yeah. Right. Like you pop the clutch on it and you're off to the races. Um, but truly like one of those, uh, one of those things that you got to kind of crank up by putting the rod in the front of it and swinging it around, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and anyway, I just, I adore it. So the car though, almost runs off the road, almost goes into the drink and Penderel would be pleased about that. But he's like, Hey, 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 I'm trying to have a drink back here. What's all the fuss? And they're like... (laughs) They're like, hey man, we're you know we're about to uh, uh, get washed off the road, and so they find this house in the Welsh countryside, and uh, I like the fact that they go to the door and immediately it is the most inhospitable place. Like I, I think it's the the sister Rebecca originally that's just like, get him out of here, and. <laughs> Well, the staircase is steep and covered in, like, all sorts of nasty stuff, and it's slippery. Everybody's always slipping and falling when they're moving on it. You know, like, it's obviously they're overdramatic with what they're doing, but, like, during the rainstorm, the wind nearly knocks them over anytime they try to leave the house. On the way up the house, it's basically pushing them towards it, and they're almost falling on their faces. Right, the and- door won't budge. They pound on the door, but the thunder's covering it up. And then they get greeted by fucking Karloff's puss in this, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, built as Karloff in the movie, uh, Boris Karloff is just a dude in this film. Um, Morgan is his name, who is just this like scarred up monstrosity. That, by the way, don't get him near the liquor. <laughs> well, this is the fir- like this is the first movie that he did right after Frankenstein. With uh, with James Whale anyway. That's, yeah. This is like the, the like the bigger horror movie the following year after Frankenstein, and it's before Invisible Man and Bride of Frankenstein. So yeah, this is before even he became B. Karloff. Like they literally have to say he is the same one who played the monster. We just want to clear that up now. <laughs> At yes. the beginning with the producer's note. Well, and also like uh, Karloff didn't really want to do this because he was like, man, I just got done making this movie where I was, you know, constantly in makeup and didn't really have any lines. And now you want me to do another movie where I'm going to be constantly in Jack Pierce makeup and not have any lines. And <laughs> James Whale was like, come on, Donna, and you're going to love it. And, <laughs> and so he did it, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, as, as we have discussed in, in other programs, like James Whale and, and Karloff had, a contentious relationship at best. And there was a, a point where they no longer worked together because of that. Uh, whether that was because of romantic reasons or not, there's some kind of question about whether or not that's true. Um, but regardless of what happened between them, something did. And the old dark house did not help matters, but by all accounts that this was a situation where Karloff was not, pleased about doing this movie thought it was and and like whale seems to have like given him the soft sell on this and then it turned out that it was kind of a miserable shooting experience for him well he's playing a drunken lout ear rapist 
uh-huh. like scumbag piece of shit. This is not the kind of thing that Karloff could really get behind. At least the monster was just so monument- monumentally naive. With you know, there's something that an actor can kind of sink their teeth into. But you got to be a special kind of person to get Glee to play the type of character that Morgan is. Yeah, you know, you you got to be the kind of person that really likes to get in the dark side. And Karloff never struck me as that kind of person, just from what I've seen with him in the interviews that I've witnessed or read or anything like that. It just seems like this would be a very uncomfortable person for him to play. Not not the kind of acting that he would be like, oh, I can sink my teeth into this and really work. It's more like, oh, this is dreadful. Why are they asking me to do this? Yeah. Uh, and Horace, uh, the, the brother of, uh, of this, you know, remote house, who, of course, played Dr. Pretorius uh, a little bit later in Bride of Frankenstein. Um, he's kind of auditioning for Pretorius in this role, really. A little bit. A little bit. He's kind of great. I, I prefer him in Bride of Frankenstein because Bride of Frankenstein is just ultimately probably the better movie overall. But I do like the old dark house. I adore and I adore him in it because he's like, Oh, well you can't stay here. What if you get trapped here? And, uh, they're like, well, where are we going to go? Like we can't go outside because we're going to get washed away. And finally, uh, they kind of resolve like, okay, we're going to let you stay for the night, but you need to look out for Morgan or Butler because if he gets the sauce in him, he's going to be some trouble. And they're very vague about that, but there's like, he gets very violent and that's the main thing that he says. And that's it. Right. Just don't let him get near booze. It's kind of what they used to say about my grandfather on my mom's side, that you just don't let him get into the whiskey because he's going to give everyone the family business. And that's literal. Like he will try to give everyone the keys to the family business when he gets drunk and won't remember it later. So, uh, Rebecca, the, uh, as played by, uh, uh, Gloria Stewart, um, she uh, is led by the older sister, Margaret to this bedroom. Cause she's like, Oh dear, you're so wet. Uh, wink, wink, come up to the room and change your clothes. And very serious lesbian overtones and shades of, uh, Ty West's scenes in X with this. Yeah, it, strangely so. Yeah, and she like in 1932, you know, nearly a century before Ty West's ex, but yeah, and she gives this like story about the family where she basically says like, you know, the reason that they've fallen into ruin is because they are sinful and godless. They filled the house with laughter and sin, laughter and sin, and they had these satins and these fabrics. That whole sequence of her doing that that diatribe is featured very prominently in uh, Gene Wilder's uh, Haunted Honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dom DeLuise actually gives almost that exact same speech, like as almost like a direct parody of it, like a loving lampoon direct parody, I would say, but still. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and at a certain point, she turns on Rebecca or turns on Margaret rather Rebecca turns on her and is like and you in your silk dress you're sinful too and uh, during this whole process as as Rebecca uh, or sorry Margaret is getting freaked out by Rebecca's behavior Rebecca also lets it drop like oh and we have this crotchety old man Sir Roderick film who still lives in the house so you might hear some coughing or weird noises because 
this weirdo is running around too. When she turns on her, she actually ends up like touching her in what 1932. I know it's still pre-code, but just basically lays her hand directly on her chest as if she is molesting her as much as 1932 could probably allow for that to happen. And that's what really sends that poor young woman over the edge because the woman was talking about things as if there's all these disgusting and vile stuff to get her worked up and make her feel guilty, even though she's, you know, what we could assume is a virginal woman on her wedding night for the time frame, or at least that's how they're playing her as this sweet and innocent woman. And the lady touches her very inappropriately makes a move at her after like fondling at her dress. And that's what scares her and moves her away. And then to diffuse that molestation, let's not mince words. Cause that's what it was. The old lady starts talking about something else. That's super creepy to try and get her mind off of what she just did. She's totally trying to gaslight her and pretend like that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a 1932 pre-code film and they're doing stuff that you would not have gotten away with. Like even just three years later. Yeah, it's kind of a sexy movie. Like, it doesn't hurt that Gloria Stewart and and Lillian Bond are both just gorgeous women. But it's also kind of the style of the time of these kind of long, slinky gowns. And, um, you know, they they get away with as much as they can. Like, James Whale is like, give me some leg. You know, which is ironic because that's not the way he bent. He doesn't care. That, like women don't turn him on, but he knows that it turns the the men on. So let's do it, you know. And uh, and so anyway, after that, after we have this this moment with uh, Margaret and Rebecca, um, finally we get a dinner scene, which is the most awkward and uncomfortable dinner scene committed to film. <laughs> Often imitated, never emulated. Yeah, it's really good. Again, if you've never seen the old dark house it's like an hour hour 10 something like that and it is so much fun uh but like all these actors are just completely hamming it up in the best possible way uh speaking of as they're about to eat dinner there's a knock on the door again and in comes sir william porterhouse as played by Charles Lawton and uh, Lillian Bond, who is uh, says her name is Gladys Duquesne. And Charles Lawton is just this, like, well-to-do, rotund, you know, kind of drunk. And... Uh, and it, He's also nouveau riche and um, very bitter about that. Yeah, yeah, and he's it's such a good character it really is the more you learn about this character the more sympathetic he is because at first he just seems kind of like this brash loudmouth, and the more you- which is also a good archetype too where he's overcompensating for things that he blames himself for um that we hear in the story of how his wife you know how he feels his wife died he yeah. clearly blames himself and the fact that he's this loudmouth, overbearing guy is he's trying to cover up the fact that he's literally slowly dying inside since he lost his wife yeah yeah and uh so penderel is immediately like say look at this dame um and it is kind of into gladys but also understands like oh he she is probably with porterhouse because of his money and he's basically paying for her to be a kept woman and etc etc and uh so like they they have some dinner and it just goes terribly 
And uh, I, I just wanted to say the dinner scene in this, I feel like uh, nothing but trouble from the 90s that Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Chevy Chase joined. Mm-hmm. I feel like they stole so much of the conversations that happened at this dinner and the uncomfortable things that are happening in this dinner, like while they're trying to feed each other and stuff. It all just feels like that sequence where they're forced around the dinner table and nothing but trouble where they're being held hostage by that bad judge. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They, I, like, I think both of those haunted honeymoon and, and, um, nothing but trouble, nothing but trouble. Both are, are movies that don't, if not, don't exist. Certainly don't exist in their forms as we know them without the old archives. Yeah. I mean, they were either influenced directly by it or, well, I know in the case of Haunted Honeymoon, they had to be just because that's the type of film, like horror film fan that Gene Wilder was. He loved that era. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he wrote Young Frankenstein. So clearly writing uh, Haunted Honeymoon to be an homage to the old Dark House is not that far of a stretch to assume. Mm-hmm. And you know that Dan Aykroyd's into some weird shit when he <laughs> he was involved with uh, and directed Nothing But Trouble. So you know that he had to probably had some kind of influence, if not directly from Old Dark House, from a movie that had influence. So it's like, like you know, the six degrees of separation or whatever you want to say for that. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so they, they all have this kind of chat around the fireplace after where Gladys uh, says like, oh, you know, my, my real last name isn't Duquesne, it's Perkins. And Penderel is like, Gladys, how about you come with me to the car and uh, we're going to get uh, a little bit of whiskey. And so they take off and then the lights go out, of course, because that's what happens in this. Again, this this is the movie that sets all these tropes up where all of a sudden the power is out now. And <laughs> guys that look like Penderel have a 100% chance of stealing your girl. Absolutely. And also, like you said, he's kind of a this freewheeling libertine kind of guy. Like he's he's charming in a way that few men you know certainly are not now like nobody he's got that kind of easy self-assuredness where it's just like okay well i'm hoping this works out in my favor but kind of if it doesn't i'm gonna end the night with a a pretty good buzz so it's all gonna work out for penderel you know say lady you want to go get drunk with me and see what happens that's literally his pickup line totally that yes that's exactly where all of this is headed so um <laughs> right as the power goes out for everybody else yeah yeah so they take off uh the power goes out rebecca tells horace to go uh upstairs and get a lamp and he's like well i can't go upstairs so uh <laughs> you know like you know what's up there and they're like what is going on again <laughs> what's happening here and uh just when you thought the place that you're stuck at couldn't get any weirder Right, so Waverton, Philip Waverton, uh, the the guy who was driving at the beginning of the movie, is like, well, I'll go up and get it. And as he goes upstairs, he hears a voice coming from from behind this locked door. And he's like, what is going on now? And uh, meanwhile, Porterhouse goes with Rebecca to close some windows. So now Margaret is left alone after having earlier been assaulted by Rebecca. And this is the point where Morgan decides that like he's had a couple of drinks at him at this point. 
And so he starts chasing her around. That look in his eye is definitely something we have to comment on that Harloff ends up giving because he's played this innocent monster who's just looking around and confused. And in this case, he is playing this very, like, almost predator look on his face where he sees her and he's just like, I'm going to do bad stuff to you. And that look on his face is just absolutely horrific. Yeah. It's it's, it's played off so well. Like, he's going to do something horrific and you just figure out whatever it is as soon as he gets his hands on her. Yeah. It's it's the Chris Isaac uh, syndrome of, I'm going to do bad things to you. (laughs) Yep. And... So uh, she runs upstairs to Philip, who's coming downstairs with the lamp, and then Philip throws the lamp at Morgan, which knocks him down the stairs. And so, you know, we have fended off Morgan for the time so that we can go out to check in on Roger and Gladys, or Penderel and Gladys, which is my, like, despite all the spooky stuff in this movie, my absolute favorite scene is them talking. I actually really like that they put his lights out with the only light they had to keep out the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So Pinderell and Gladys, this is the scene where she explains like, oh, this relationship she has with Porterhouse, with Charles Lawton's character, is completely platonic. And, um, you know, she's like, look, he's he's just kind of this lonely guy. He misses his wife. And he likes me around. Like, you know, we have a good time, but he's not like, he's not in love with me. Or if he is, he's more in love with his dead wife than he is me. And she almost makes it sound like she's just there to be arm candy. And he's not even interested in her sexually because he's so hung up on his wife. Absolutely. I think that's totally what's going on here. Which is not that hard to believe because of the way that he delivers that soliloquy about how he lost his wife and how he blames himself and the emotions that Lawton just pulls out from that wrenches your heart. Mm -hmm. So when you hear Lillian Bond's character Gladys at this moment actually like basically professing about how the man won't even touch me and he's not even interested in that sort of thing. We just have a good time and he just wants to have some laughs because he's sad and he's trying to hide that fact. Like she's he's literally paying her way in life just to have someone to pretend like he's happy with for the facade of it all. Yeah. You know, and maybe there's some fleeting happiness there, but he's not, he's not trying to make her his wife and, and not even trying to take her to bed, you know? Yeah. Um, He doesn't want any control over her other than just be there for me and be a platonic friend is really how she makes it sound. Right. Be my drinking buddy. And you know, it's almost that leaving Las Vegas kind of thing. Um, can you just be here when I drink myself to death? In Vino Veritas, lean into the bar, lean into the old dark house. Um, <laughs> but so they end up going back inside after she's like, you know, Raja, you're a pretty good egg. And he's like, you know, I'm going to tell you something later, but not right now. And uh, because we know that they have immediately fallen in love because that's how these movies go. I think it's code for they got drunk and nailed out there and he fell in love with her at the first like taste of their romantic in- interludes. Yeah, and you know, these movies of this era are just rife with I've spent 15 minutes with someone and now there is no way I could ever be with anyone else. Um, it's a little overly romantic, but also Penderel's pretty cool. And <laughs> If I were going to hook up with a dude, Penderel is on the list for me. 
Um, Being someone who has nearly experienced love at first sight with the person that he is still with to this day, yeah, I can't say that this is impossible. I yeah. will just say it is super improbable. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the way to put it. Because I've definitely had those moments where I've, I've you know, seen someone uh, and thought, yeah, this is going to be something. Um, at any rate, so but they, they well, jump into marriage pretty quick. More- yeah, I'm talking more along the lines of that the, these two crazy kids find each other and they just click and they just know yeah. that something's right. And then they, they test that theory out and find out, oh, yes, they've got something for each other. Well, and, and so they go inside and they find Porterhouse and they're like, you know, hey, we just want to let you know that we're kind of into each other. And is that cool with you? You know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but they have this you know kind of nice moment where he's like you know i can't really be mad at you like i understand why you like her and i understand why she likes him and I, you know what am i gonna do stand in the way of that no that's fine you know i mean i'm i have or, I, I think the world of you but it's it's okay or proof that they are just in fact friends and that he's really not that interested in her and what an interesting like adult response to that where (laughs) he's like like we're we're totally friends i've never really been romantically involved with her i can see where you two kids hit it off and penderas or pendrel basically just starts this shit out by basically saying so i just plowed your would-be fake girlfriend and uh, we're in love yeah like that that's basically how he delivers it and he's like super cocky about it and there's a certain point where porterhouse is like listen pal don't push it or your chops will get busted Right, there's a little bit of conflict, but it kind of resolves itself with, "I well, I, I wish you both the best." Yeah, well, he's like, "I don't." I, yeah, basically, like, "Hey, you don't have to rub my face in it," is what he's saying, or I will punch yeah. you in the mouth. Sure, but I wish you guys both the best, and make sure you take care of her, or I will hunt you down. Like he does, he does do something like that too. Right, there, there is still care about Gladys quite a bit. It's all yeah, it's it's almost a more paternal relationship than it is a romantic one. Of like, you know, she's she's a good lady and I, I i want her to be happy and and if if you're it then that's fine um but anyway so back to the actual horror movie part of the horror movie where uh philip and margaret go up to the room where he's heard this voice where they find sir roderick Fem, the old father uh as played by elspeth dudgeon uh, although she's credited as John Dudgeon because I guess they're trying to imply that, you know, she is a man or an, a male actor in this movie, but it's clearly a woman made up to be an old dude. Um, yeah, the old age makeup looks incredible, but it's very much obviously feminine features that they didn't try to round off or make look more male. Maybe they chose her because the end result makeup ended up looking more skull-like and death-like and horrific because it's such a narrow face that has the buildup of the cheekbones and everything else. Like, that's the only thing I could think as to why they would do this. Or maybe it's just James Whale thumbing his nose at tradition and everything else and just having somebody cross-dress on screen just for the hell of it in 32 to see if he could get away with it. Yeah, it's a really interesting, like kind of move to make in in this film and i don't a hundred percent know why whale did it but i kind of dig it because it does add to this kind of weird sense of like camp and silliness and strangeness to it all and it also offers this really otherworldly thing because something seems so not right about that person in that makeup and you're supposed to believe that 
that person is supposed to be a male, but doesn't really quite look like one. And the makeup is not quite convincing you that they're old either. So it, it just has this uneasiness automatically to everything. And the acting in it, oh my God, they're so fucking creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The character it's... is just the, like, just so fucking unnerving. And as if all of the goings on, as if Crazy Morgan wasn't enough, she, uh, Sir Roderick is like, well, you want to be careful about Saul. And they're like, who, who is Saul again? Oh, well, that's the eldest son. He's a pyromaniac. We keep him locked up in the attic because you let him loose. He's going to try to burn the whole house down. <laughs> right, where you're just being laid out this information matter-of-factly, like where he thinks it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Because he's done it before, and he's like, whatever, I'm an old man. I could die at any minute. I don't care if it's in a fire or not. Right, and so they're like, we got to get out of here. Like, this place, like... The, the rapey Karloff that they've got downstairs is one thing. That's not great. But now we got to deal with rapey Karloff, the creepy brother and sister, and now a pyromaniac that could get on the loose at any time? Uh, not to mention this weird androgynous old person that is bedridden and demands that you give them a cup of water yeah. upon immediately meeting you and doesn't even care and then warns you you shouldn't be in this house. Yeah. So yeah, this this is all a recipe for get the fuck out, which is kind of what they're planning on doing to like get, let everybody else know. But they realize as they're they're making their way down that Morgan has let Saul out, and because he's come to after being you know clunked on the head with the lamp, so he's let Saul free. Morgan uh, goes downstairs, goes after Margaret again. Um, so, uh, Porterhouse and Philip have to drag him into the kitchen while Rebecca runs to her bedroom. Then Roger is like, Hey, you need, uh, like you and Gladys, you hide in, in a closet and, and keep out of the way of, uh, uh, of, of Morgan. But Saul shows up. The, the the first appearance of Saul, like the hand coming down the steps, uh, is wonderfully creepy. It's a, one of those things that, I, again, often imitated. Um, and But he comes down, knocks Roger out. And so he grabs this branch that's burning in the fireplace, starts setting fire to the curtains before Roger can wake up. And so they start scuffling uh, up on a landing and Roger ends up fighting it back and then they fall. Um, Saul ends up dying in the fall and Roger is is horribly injured. And Morgan gets out of the kitchen, runs up to the main room where he gets Margaret free and uh, uh like it helps them out of the the closet and then grabs Saul's body and runs upstairs with it. There's this whole weird thing where he looks like he's going to try and assault them again, where he's yeah. got Gladys and he decides he doesn't like Gladys nearly as much as he likes Margaret. And then he starts going for Margaret again, but like Margaret becomes more, I don't know, like assertive and just starts talking about how you need to let him go. You, you need to let me go. You, you know, there's, these people are hurt. Somehow she breaks through to him and he realizes Saul is hurt mm -hmm. and then doesn't about face. And the way that Morgan embraces Saul and holds on to him 
makes me wonder what their relationship actually was because it, it feels more than just a caregiver sad that the thing he was supposed to care for is now gone. Yeah, and I don't know that, you know, like if, if there's enough gay subtext in Whale's work that I don't, I don't think it's a matter of like trying to read too much into it uh, to ask that question because it's very possible that, you know, that this was Whale kind of subversively suggesting that they were lovers um you know the pyromaniac and the scarred up monster you know the the two outcasts uh were were perhaps lovers because you know what makes you more of an outcast than being homosexual at that time so it's a it's a definite possibility and then it makes you wonder if perhaps morgan was resentful of the beautiful ladies that are now in the house because maybe they would steal away the eye uh, of of his love of Saul um, to, to them and maybe it was more of a way of him trying to get rid of them and scare them off it, it could be interpreted that way but also he just looks like a hungry sex maniac as well and maybe Saul is just who he was working it out with at the time and thought he was in love with and the family just let him do that as a way to try and keep Saul <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like they're they're hinting at that like Saul says some things about how Morgan beats him and hurts him and so you're just kind of wondering if maybe they keep Morgan around to keep Saul in a state of constant fear of staying in his room yeah um yeah it's again I think it's it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard you know uh when you're when you're talking about a a James Whale film where he's clearly having a good time and also sneaking in what he can yeah, and this house was clearly filled with debauchery and a bunch of other horrible things that Morgan would have probably felt right at home with. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we we kind of make it to the next morning. Saul is is dead. The house has not burned down. It did, actually, you know, he managed to burn some curtains, but that's about all Saul accomplished. Trying uh, to set a house on fire that's made out of stone in the middle of the worst downpour rainstorm that they have seen in nearly a century is probably not your smartest plan. But he's a pyromaniac. He can't help it, you know? <laughs> and, and played almost to Uno O'Connor broadness when he starts <laughs> right. really going nuts. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, like how every little four-year-old in the 1980s would pretend like they were losing their mind and be crazy. This is how this guy acts. Right, and uh, worth noting, this is played by Brimber Wills is the guy's name, um, who didn't, like, was almost 50 when he started acting in, like, old Dark House and that kind of thing, and, and worked for a few years and died in, in the uh, late 40s, so... Um, yeah, didn't didn't have much of a career, but it, super interesting. Apparently, I think he was a, a more of a theatrical actor is kind of the the deal. That um, explains why he's playing it so broad. He's playing for the back row when he's on camera. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I still, again, I adore it. I I love all of this. Uh, that, that, that wasn't necessarily like a disparaging comment so much as an observation about how he was going. I absolutely love it. Yeah, and. I find him to be absolutely hilarious, and I think Whale let him go that broad on purpose because it adds a little bit of levity to the horrific things that this guy has been accused of when he's finally unleashed. I'm genuinely surprised that Whale did not have Una O'Connor in here as, like, a housemaid or something just to scream at Morgan. 
know? <laughs> right, which is what we basically end up having when we are talking about Haunted Honeymoon because it's Fister mm-hmm. <laughs> and his wife where she's constantly on his case and Una O'Connoring him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, Philip and Margaret are off to get an ambulance because Penderel is injured and Gladys of course stays behind with Porterhouse and they they're worried that he's gonna die but he wakes up uh and Gladys is like oh you're alive and he's like hey say there was something I was gonna ask you would you like to marry me and then she kisses him and it's a big happy ending and end of movie um and that's the old dark house that's what happens in in the old dark house um so before we get into themes and, and, and how much fun it is and all that stuff, let's talk about this cast. Holy crap. What a great cast, not just for this time, but as we talked about, you got Boris Karloff, Melvin Douglas, Raymond Massey, Gloria Stewart, Charles Lawton, Lillian Bond, Ernest Thesiger, uh, 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 Brimber Wills, like Elspeth Dudgeon, like every member of this cast is really good at what they're doing. And, and, of course, big shout-out uh, to Melvin Douglas as Penderel, uh, who has my heart in this film. I love <laughs> everything he does. And, I, like I said, I think Charles Lawton as Porterhouse is, like, kind of wonderful and tragic and, and sad. And just a, what a terrific, terrific performance by him. It's um, definitely a character that I can see him being drawn into want to do. And I can see where you have a character like porterhouse right or mm-hmm. bill or whatever you want to end up calling him um i can see where you have a character like that and Karloff would want to sink his teeth into a character like that more than organ right <laughs> like where sure. you got all of these actors around you and you have to be this silent rapist like brute <laughs> i can see where Karloff didn't want to do it yeah i don't think that's what i want to do james <laughs> Why can't I play Sir William Porterhouse? <laughs> right. I think I would be excellent at it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... It, yeah, it's a shame that Karloff can't do more, but also it's kind of fun that you're you're sort of riffing on the Frankenstein character and making it a little more lecherous and and going a little further with it. And, and I think that that's part of what a appeals to me about the Morgan character in this movie is like, like Frankenstein is is kind of a morality play about, you know, not messing in the realm of God and all that kind of stuff. And this is just like, here's a bunch of crazy characters that end up in a, in a crazy situation. And it, it feels a little looser, a little more, you know, I keep using the, the phrase freewheeling, but that's kind of what, I, I feel when I'm watching this movie is that this is just good writing and good acting and great sets and lighting and James Whale having fun with the camera. Like there's some fun camera work in it and it's, I, yeah, I just, I, but I, we'll get to all that in a minute, but the cast I just think is, is terrific. I think everybody's terrific in this movie. Yeah. It really feels sort of like the, hey, you gave us Frankenstein, we'll give you the weird little offbeat picture, just make it scary that you've been wanting to do. So he modified some kind of quirky character piece 
with all the romance and stuff that he wanted in it to be more like this old Dark House version that we're seeing because it has an inordinate amount of romance and human interest in it. And the horror feels almost secondary for a lot of the plot with that. But when it shows up, it's really such a great contrast. And and it's really kind of this interesting where you have like the most normal folks that you could possibly have in all your archetypes. They get thrust into this world of complete darkness and insanity because of the storm. And that's really where the horror is. And really, there's not really much of a threat other than Morgan being a drunken rapist and then Saul wanting to murder everybody. But like everybody else is just weird and quirky and irritating and judgmental and a little rapey at certain points. But I mean, it's 1932. I think everybody was back then, or at least they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it, it was eh, a little more except not acceptable. It, it, it was behavior that was not shocking, I suppose in the way that uh, it, it probably is in a modern context. But still, this movie does feel... Anyway, so that's a cast. I think we're done with that. Let's get into themes. <laughs> um, yeah. This does feel surprisingly modern in a lot of ways, but I think that's maybe a result of just, you know, culture being somewhat cyclical. Um, but the idea of these you know kind of characters all going about their business and and finding themselves drawn together because of this storm and having a little bit of uh representation between you know strangely again for what we think of 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 movies of this era uh strangely self-determinate women who are not just like shrieking victims you know um, there's a little bit of that to be sure, but you know, that's pretty pre-code stuff too. There's a lot of pre-code films that are very feminist from this era, mm-hmm. or at least have those elements and those themes in them because we're coming off the era of the flapper where the ladies were doing it for themselves and taking care of shit and just done with the social morals that were wrapped around them. And this is the time frame where that's slowly being dragged back in, but you get some stuff like this still in the film. Yeah, and I, I feel like you get a sense that Whale is very much on the on the side of the libertines, you know, probably because of uh, the fact that he was closeted at the time um, and, and wanted Not to sort of... would have much of a choice, though. <laughs> right, sure. You know, I mean, it was, you know, a, a not-so-open secret. Uh, I mean, people knew that he worked with and friends of his and so forth, but you know, it's again, you didn't, it wasn't something that you, you would ever see publicly written about. Um, but you know, it's the, the thing that's kind of interesting is like, this isn't the first time that a haunted house movie or, a, you know, any of that had been done. Like there, there, there's a rich literary tradition of that, that predates old dark house. What's fun about it is that Whale takes all of that rich tradition of haunted house movies and basically says, yeah, but what if it was fun? And and what if there weren't really actually ghosts? It's just a house full of in, a bunch of deranged people, basically. Right. Just a bunch of wacky, you know, Poe-esque characters taken to the illogical extreme where instead of these you know the, like uh there there's hints of usher with with uh the the you know um Horace and Rebecca and uh with you know Rebecca's kind of almost I hesitate to say puritanical cuz in light of recent education I'm like you know the puritans actually were not 
the Puritans that we think of. Um, but but that kind of you know Calvinistic uh, sort of religious type, um, but also clearly you know a little lecherous in her own right and. Well, the the thing that I like about this movie is that everything that the movie is is also a little bit of a tweak, you know that the uh, the moralistic character that's wagging her finger and saying you're all a bunch of sinners is maybe a little bit of a sinner herself, and the old. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but there's some dialogue with her when she is doing her rant about how when they were filling the house with laughter and sin, her sister Rachel would be invited, but she was always told to go pray, always go, told yeah. to go pray. And it sounds like she's almost jealous that she wasn't able to get railed by all the people in the party as well. She was the one that had to be pious. Sure. And because she had to be pious, she's going to go overboard with it and basically, you know, condemn everyone for the horrible sin that they supposedly do or don't do. Or what in her mind is essentially her lust being projected out on everyone else because she was forced to go pray. Yeah. Instead of being able to participate. Um, yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, the, uh, the you know, Morgan is, uh, uh, you know, one of those uh, characters that's like, oh, it's sort of Frankenstein, but that's tweaked. And... Um, you know, this uh, character of Porterhouse who is this dude who has this kept woman, but there's this other thing about him that makes him a little more substantial a character, a little more interesting a character. Um, like everything, like every nook and cranny of this movie is filled with something that is more interesting than the superficial read of, or what your expectation of a movie like this would be even at that time, because you know, the, the story um, again, maybe not uh, would have a rich filmic tradition at this point, but certainly a literary one, but it's well just twisting the dial on all of that in a way to make it part parody and, and part like, you know, commentary on this kind of story, but also really enjoying these characters and letting the characters breathe on screen. It, you know, for the, the, the fact that it's a, a, a movie that's almost a hundred years old at this point, it, it plays surprisingly modern despite all of that. And uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah, for me thematically, there there's a lot of just rich undercurrent. Uh, you know, we talked about gay subtext and this kind of libertine subtext, and 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 uh, the this sort of hypocrisy of religion. And there's a bunch of little stuff peppered through this movie. I don't know that I would say that there is a deep central theme as much as there is, or, or maybe the central theme is that you just can't judge a book by its cover to be a little bit reductive that actually I, I agree with that because every single person that is in this film is essentially presented to you as someone that you think you can read within a moment's notice because they're just supposed to be one dimensional characters. And then James Whale subverts that by stripping that away and revealing that every single character that is there, including Morgan and all of these offbeat characters there is more depth to them. The reason that they're acting and behaving the way that they are is because they've been living this way 
under threat of death, like the, the older brother that's basically terrified of like everything and is just roaming around and just appears to be just this overreactionary chicken little calling the sky falling at all moments. Well, no wonder he lives like that. He's got a brother who would rather kill and burn everyone to death for his own amusement and fun. And then the person that's supposed to be keeping him under control, if he gets drunk, seems to be a raping brute that roams around the house. I would be that fucking shell, like shell-shocked and filled with PTSD as that character. <laughs> the fun-loving guy turns out to be a guy who's mourning his wife and he blames himself for his from her death and the woman who seems to be just the freeloading gold digger for this rich guy turns out to be a woman who actually really genuinely cares for the guy and is there to be a friend in his time of need and support him. Uh, the married couple, you know, we kind of stick with who they are, but we get to see more of who they are as people as well. And it's just revealed that the depth of their character is more than what we thought, Yeah, you know, at the time as well. And it's it, it subverts that. And for doing that in 1932 and making that that don't judge a book by its cover type of reductive theme, but doing it in such a way where they expand the people out to where it's literally like people are not what you think they are which is a very much James Whale uh, way of doing it. But it's in the best and worst way, depending upon which character they're revealing and what time. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of when Cabin in the Woods came out, it had a, ta a tagline that went, you think you know the story. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of what James Whale did in 1932. You know, that you think you know what this story is, and then James Whale is going to maybe not subvert the expectations the way that uh, Kevin in the woods does, but certainly it gives you, it gives you more than you expect the movie to be. And absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. Oh my God. Let's all right. Let's in speaking of, let's just get to our final thoughts and, and scores here because uh, I, I can't wait. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I know yeah, where I come down this. Yeah, it hit me. What, what are your thoughts on this movie after wallowing in it? The more I watch this film, the more respect I gain for it. And I like to watch it basically at the latest period of night, right before I'm about to go to sleep, like where I could probably make it through like almost all of the film. Because once I get to that fever pitch of an ending and their daylight stuff happens with a happy ending, like by that time, I'm almost delirious and I'm lost in that world and I'm so sucked into it. Like that seems to be how I like to watch it. I tend to watch it like right before I go to bed Halloween night. Sometimes I'll pop this one on or uh, this is a kind of like horror film like from the 30s or even a comedy from the 30s that I would watch. So it just feels like this this place of home, like this place of comfort food for me. But I watched it for the show and I was like, okay, now I have to sit back and think about this with my big boy reviewer pants on. And I've found a whole new level to enjoy and love this film on that I wasn't giving it the shot that I had done before. And I just, I don't know, like we we went, we do a rating here of what, five stars, no half star, half stars are okay, but the three quarters, they're not good, right? So that's what you want is that number, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no quarter stars uh, because we're not monsters, but obviously uh, half stars are allowed. <laughs> yeah, this is a four and a half for me. Uh, it's not the absolute best James Whale film ever made, but it's sure not far behind them. 
yeah all right all right i i see your four and a half stars um and i'm going to raise you a half star this <laughs> you said it's your favorite so i'm not surprised yeah like it's one of those things where i can recognize bride of frankenstein is objectively a richer denser more interesting movie and i love it and that's a five star film for me as well old dark house is the hometown favorite it is just so ridiculously fun it is so packed to the gills with with again just kind of interesting characters and situations and just kind of crazy bullshit you know like it's james whale having a good time and not taking any of this too seriously but also being a great director and and wanting to make a movie that is both entertaining and, and entertaining to him, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons that Bride is so good is that, you know, he didn't want to make Frankenstein again. He just wanted to do some weird stuff. And you know, when he gets left to his own devices and make a film that is going to be entertaining for him to watch, these are the results. Cause old dark house and Bride have very much themes in common. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I mean, they're, it, it's such a great companion piece, uh, like both of these. And um, yeah, I just love it. Uh, I think it's just one of the one of the best movies of the era. It's one of my favorite universal movies. It's, it's some of the most fun I have when I'm watching these movies. Like I, as much as I love Wolfman you know it's not nearly as much fun to watch wolfman as it is to watch old dark house it just isn't for me um i have a good time with it don't get me wrong I, it's still a great movie but if you were asking me which one i want to watch again right now it'd be old dark house um <laughs> i don't begrudge you that at all because i i totally see what it is that you love about this film it just doesn't work for me nearly as much as what it does for you like the joy and the glee that you have with it is i feel like mine is just slightly diminished mm -hmm. but but not in a way that i don't enjoy it it's just that like how could i possibly love it as much as you Bo? i don't even want to compete yeah sure <laughs> you know yeah, and it's not a competition like we don't have to uh we, we don't have to race to the finish on this one um and i'm so glad that you find the joy in this that you do like i'm i'm kind of envious of just how much joy this film brings you it, yeah it really does it, it it is such a uh an absolute delight uh for me when i watch it it's one of those things like anytime that uh melvin douglas is on the screen in this movie i am just over the moon um i i, I, have, it so much. I have the same i have the same thing with zeppo marks for some reason i yeah i i get it zeppo's a weird choice but i get it um <laughs> i'm just a marx brothers fanatic my man i yeah i like it too zeppo's just not my guy i'm i'm a harpo guy always have been always will be he's he is the weird lech of the group um <laughs> i just like the way that like uh, the the feeling i get when zeppo is like hitting on someone or you know being a schmooze is the same thing that this character had yeah that we're describing that's basically what i was talking I'll, about if you've never read it, if you're if you're a marx brothers guy and you've never read them read the letters between groucho marx and t.s Eliot. oh uh, my god that sounds amazing they're they're incredible they had dinner one time i think it was only the one time but they're but you in particular would love it because it's all about how much they both love cats about what a wonderful evening they had together but it's these 
you know, very interesting letters written between two men. And like T.S. Eliot loved the Marx Brothers and Groucho Marx loved T.S. Eliot. And seeing the mutual respect that these two men who are of wildly different backgrounds and wildly different careers had for one another. It's, it's wonderful. And it's, and it's very funny and illuminating and interesting. And it kind of humanizes both of them because they were both clearly fans of the other. And, and especially for me, like I, I put T.S. Eliot on such a pedestal as far as uh, one of the great American poets and just hearing him kind of fanboy over Groucho Marx is kind of fun. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, I do too. Groucho Marx is awesome. Um, well, thank you for that recommendation. I will seek that out. You absolutely should. There, There's a book I know that they are collected in called The Essential Groucho, which I can also highly recommend, which is some, uh, some of the early sketches as well as just one-liners from, you know, uh, uh, You Bet Your Life and stuff like that. Um you know, like the, ladies and gentlemen, you're just going to have to indulge me for two seconds. But like, there's, <laughs> there, there's the line that I, I think it was cut out of the broadcast, but it was the woman he was talking to who had all the kids, and uh, he's like, and she, she had like 17 kids or something, and, um, <laughs> he says he had 17 kids. Oh my goodness, you must really love kids. And she's like, yeah, of course I do. And he goes, you know, I love my cigar too, but I take it out of my mouth once in a while. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) Groucho Marx is a national treasure. Um, Let's court. Let's get to three things you may not know about the old dark house. (laughs) Um, With a bonus one this time around. So this was the first time Boris Karloff was credited as a starring role. Uh, he his name is left off in Frankenstein, and he yeah, was a question mark for the credit, right? Yeah, and and in the end credits he gets something, but this is the first time that like big upfront, hey, Boris Karloff is in this movie, or Karloff is what they call him in this, not even Boris Karloff. Um, Must have been part of the gentleman's agreement to get him into the film between he and Whale. Yeah, yeah. So. Here's an interesting thing, uh, number two, on the things you may not know about The Old Dark House. So there was a remake of The Old Dark House that William Castle released in 1963. When that movie was released, all of the copies of the original 32 Old Dark House were taken out of circulation. And so for years after that, they thought the movie was lost. Like the original 32 Old Dark House, people couldn't find copies of it. And Wasn't the 63 when a Hammer produced film as well? I do not know for sure. I thought somebody that had something to do with Hammer had money behind that. You, you may very well be right. I, I'm not sure about that. But well, that's tragic that we almost lost this film to that. Though. Yeah, and, and so it turns out that it was found by a director named Curtis Harrington, uh, who was the guy who directed the weird... Dennis Hopper mermaid movie Night Tide as well as uh, like Killer Bees and the Queen of Blood kind of this schlock director and but he apparently found a copy of it well I was already a fan of his work but now that he found this film and brought it back to us I love him even more 
Yeah, found a negative of the old Dark House, and that's why. And the, the copies we have of old Dark House these days are really, really good, and it's thanks to Curtis Harrington. So, um, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this was the movie, as I kind of suggested before, that broke up Boris Karloff and James Whale, who after this movie never spoke again and would only communicate even on the set of this movie would only talk to each other at the end of of filming by messages through other cast members that the such was the animosity between these two which is a real crime because they did such great work together and it's a real shame that old dark house was was kind of you know end of the road you tell that son of a bitch i'm not doing that again right right that i mean that kind of what happened um (laughs) direction through telephone basically yeah yeah it's again just such a shame that um you know the two great filmmakers like that would uh uh would not be you know partnering up again or you know i i guess you know in the book (laughs) Um, they begrudgingly worked together on one more film because it was something that would get them both much more fame and stardom and you know all sorts of money sure like eventually yes they worked together for bride but um i'm really glad that uh that you know it 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 worked out but it it seems like the animosity still kind of remained uh throughout the rest of their lives which again real shame um okay and then lastly as i mentioned earlier jack pierce was the guy who did uh karloff's makeup in this movie even though he is not credited with it and um so the actor uh karloff had to use uh this his his frankenstein's monster stuff of like you know i've got a make my lips quiver and my eyes big to convey emotion and um but because pierce had created the these appliances that karloff wore so distinctly that even though the performance is sort of a nod to frankenstein's monster and played by the same guy who who was frankenstein's monster audiences at the time did not look at this movie and be like oh yeah frankenstein's monster uh, that Jack Pierce was uh, enough of a of, of an artist, and Karloff himself was enough of a performer that they were able to make the two uh, characters that are similar in many ways uh, very distinct from one another. So Jack Pierce, uncredited on this movie, but uh, was the guy putting Karloff in the makeup chair, and uh, and was probably a real asshole about it, based on everything we know about Jack Pierce. Um, it's kind of a front runner for the Igor makeup that was in Son of Frankenstein that uh, um, Bela Lugosi was wearing. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has some echoes of that for sure. So, uh, But that is it. Those are, are things that you may not have known about Old Dark House, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have learned something about this movie, not just in those three uh, or four facts, but uh, in our discussion is an awfully good film. Uh, if you've never seen it and uh, and last but certainly not least court um, where can people hear more out of you to, uh, to to find out what can possibly make your heart so cold as to not give this movie five stars <laughs> I assume that's how you're going to start every show from now on is look 
I've heard the letters, uh, you know, the voicemails and all of that. Old Dark House is a four and a half star movie. Shut up. All I'm saying is if you would allow quarter stars, it would have been seven five. Uh, that that will never happen on this show. <clears throat> right. That's that's why it only has four and a half. I will, I'll be cold in the ground, Court, before I allow <laughs> a quarter star on this show. That's <laughs> absolutely fine. Uh, well, while I'm not being accused of being a heartless fucking ingrate for not giving five stars to the old dark house Mm -hmm. i'm available on legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops dash podcast that's the main landing and launching page to get all of my stuff for my show cinema psyops uh the legion podcast discord i've been showing up there and hijacking everybody's conversation by being that little dog that runs around spike in the cartoons going hey what are we doing what are we doing i just want to be involved with everybody Mm -hmm. uh i also have my facebook group for cinema psyops which is still alive and kicking while the rest of facebook is tumbleweeds and hate and uh (laughs) also the instagram feed for all the memes that i share and then also that gets shared to the cinema psyops group or i'm just court psyops on facebook if you want to contact with me there and uh i recommend the legion discord uh Bo is definitely not wrong about that. It's a lot of fun there. And the more people we get in there, the more fun it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the fact that it's it's a very chill place where most of the conversation is just about movies. You know, uh, that makes me happy. So, um, hey, buddy, I appreciate, as always, you doing this. And uh, and also kind of short notice to get this out. So um, I'm going to let you go. But ladies and gentlemen, you don't go anywhere. I will be right back to close out the show. And there you have it. Just as promised, what a fun conversation between uh, one Court Psyops and myself uh, about uh, the old Dark House. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a great time talking to Court about it. I think uh, it's a terrific movie. And, uh, and we had a lot of fun discussing the ins and outs and, you know, kind of digging into why it is such a fun, weird movie in, you know, a catalog of fun, weird movies that James Whale did. Uh, and I, I not only have a lot of time for it, it's truly kind of a comfort food film. It, it's one that I can kind of sit down and watch just about any time. Um, <laughs> mostly because it's only like, you know, 68 minutes long. That doesn't hurt. Um, so what have we got coming up? We've got a heart of horror coming up, uh, very soon with, uh, myself and Kate and a special guest. Uh, I will wait until that is recorded before I reveal that. So I don't tell you that, uh, somebody's going to be on and then they're not. Um, and then of course we've got a whole new set of movies to do, uh, coming soon. Uh, we are approaching the dog days of summer. And so we are going to be doing the dog days of horror. Uh, featuring <laughs> movies with monster dogs and killer dogs and devil dogs and all kinds of dogs. Uh, that is purely for me. I, I have a good time talking about dumb movies and there is nothing dumber than a monster dog. So uh, that is what's coming next. Um, as always, you can find uh, me if you want to have a conversation about this movie, any of the movies we've talked about. If you just want to drop in a, a line or, or give me a recommendation, you can do all of that stuff on uh, Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash dark parade, uh, where you can find the Facebook group. Uh, you can also go to Twitter where you can find me at dark parade pod. And I, I drop in on Facebook and Twitter about once a day. So if you send me a message, I will definitely get it. Um, I'm, most of the time I'm on discord. 
So if you want to uh, get the Discord, uh, that would be the full Legion Discord. You can do so. Uh, just go to legionpodcasts.com forward slash the dash dark dash parade. And from there, you can get a link to not only the Discord server, but all the social media channels and uh, links to all of the old episodes. So all of that stuff is there. Uh, please avail yourself of it. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, so like I said, next week should be a heart of war. And, uh, and then beyond that, we'll get into some good old fashioned fun with uh, Monster Dog. So uh, that is it for this time around. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Uh, thanks for allowing me to kind of come in and talk to you about horror movies. It's, it's one of the things I love to do. And I'm, I'm perhaps even more excited to do it these days because I'm so busy otherwise. And so being able to kind of pause and, and really indulge, uh, and, and wallow in these movies that I really love. Uh, it just, it means the world. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining the dark parade and I'll see you next time. Yeah.